Well, before we get before we um, jump into our text this morning, I do want to uh, let you know uh, that I had the chance to see Evars um, last Sunday. Um, I left here, went to be with uh, him and Grace in the hospital, and he had been unconscious um, until that morning, till that Sunday morning. So when I got there, I was very surprised to see him with eyes open. Uh, and moving around, I, just not what I expected. I I, ha- I had the understanding that he was unconscious, and I take that as a gift from the Lord that I got to look look him eye to eye. I don't, as I wrote in the email, I'm not sure how cognizant he was of my presence, but I do know that he, when I spoke, he made eye contact with me. When Grace spoke, he made eye contact with her, and Eric was there as well. Um, had the chance to talk with him. Um, remind him of some stories that we had together of this church uh, to pray with him and to read Psalms to him. And so I just want to pass that on to you as his church family that uh, praise God. I had that time with him. I count it as a, as a great blessing and, and was hopeful that maybe um, there was some recovery. So when uh, I was in class, I was in the middle of class and Eric called me and I, my heart sunk. And I was like, Oh, and uh, so jumped out and took it. And Eric gave me the news that uh, Evars had passed. and um, So it's been a week of on and off reflection uh, with him. I'm sure we'll have time to talk together, um, even to share some stories maybe at the funeral on Tuesday. But uh, what a blessing Evars has been to this congregation. And I remember, you know, the first meeting I, I had when I was coming down to do pulpit supply. Uh, it's been it's been 20 plus 20 years of pulpit supply here. So I'm the longest pulpit supply guy in the history of pulpit supply. Uh, but, um, you know, meeting with Frank and, and with Evars and and being and thinking, what a strange name. Uh, and even now when I tell him, well, an elder in our church died, and then I always have to go through this big explanation how, well, he's Eastern European, you know, it's it's a, it's Latvian, you know, Evar's Friedenwald, you know, it doesn't just roll off the tongue. And, um, and he's just thinking, what a strange name, uh, but what a wonderful man. And uh, so I know you share that. I just didn't want to jump into the sermon today and not acknowledge that and um, and at least let you know that, praise God, I had the chance to, on your behalf, and I and I... I told him, I said, hey, you are, you know, we're praying for you as a, as a church and everybody just loves you so much. And so, I, you know, again, I do that on, on your behalf to let him know. He, so he had that, praise God, in his ears um, the day before his death. Well, on that heavy but joyous note, because I, I think um, when I think of Evars, I think this is a man who just loved the Lord, was rock solid in his faith to the Lord. Uh, Mark was saying in there that he just never seemed to have any worries, right? And that, and there's a certain truth in that because he, he just had such steadfast confidence uh, in, in God. And he loved the Psalms. And I was just thinking as we, as we were singing today, you know, for many years, it, it leaned on me to start the Psalms. It's a hard thing Mark has to do to do it. Um, it's tough to do, unless you're, you know, Tim, probably would be beautiful. Uh, but it's a hard thing to start the Psalms. Um, and Ivar's struggled with it very badly, <laughs> uh, as, as did I. So I just think of some of the hilarious times that I had with Ivar's where we'd sing, we'd be on a completely different tune. Ivar's would just, Ivar's, I mean, we'd be looking at that. We know it. We all know with him, you know, whatever, 8A, you know, we know that. And, and Ivar's would just start it and it would be a different, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a different Psalm. We'd be singing, but the right words. And, and then the tune wouldn't match and it would be terrible. Um, and, you know, it cracked me up. Ebars was 
struggle. Let's, not, let's put it this way. It was not his gift uh, to uh, to start the Psalms. But but you know what? It's all we had was me and him. Uh, you know, and, and when Mark Kuntz left, Mark was, of course, genius at it, musical, musically gifted. But then it was left to me and Ivar's. And, but I would just stand there. So it would be tough when visitors came because I think, oh, this could be, this could, this could get rough. Um, but people who, uh, you know, the family, the church family, Ivar's would start and, uh, or I would. I, I, I was guilty of the same thing. But uh, we'd start and we'd laugh it off and we'd start something else or we'd just plow through it and it wouldn't work the whole time. Um, but but uh, Ivar's loved the Psalms and I think of him now. I think of him in glory. Uh, singing right on tune, by the way, uh, right, 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 uh, perfect psalm. But uh, Ivar's is before before the throne, and so it, while it's heavy, it's 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 utterly joyful uh, for me to think of Ivar's in glory. It's just where he belongs. So, well, today, today, this fourth Sunday of Advent, um, we come to a, a very familiar text, uh, Mary's Magnificat, and this is one of those texts that is glorious and humbling at the same time. There are moments in the scriptures that utterly humble us, and this is one of them because this is a teenage girl, okay? This is a, this is a teenager who writes this amazing poetry, who sings this amazing song, and who composes unfathomably deep theology. Um, we're dealing with a teenager here, you know, at least we believe, um, and it's utterly humbling to a to a man who is, you know, growing older and who has studied theology and the scriptures a long time. And yet Mary has this moment. She's a couple months into her pregnancy. And this, this maybe earlier, maybe this bubbles out of her, uh, this wonderfully rich theology. And so it's very humbling. It's also challenging because we're Protestants and it's like we're allergic to Mary. I don't know why it's a bad allergy to have. We should not have it. <laughs> medicate against it, please. Uh, but we have, we, we just, we fear Catholicism uh, to such a degree that when Mary's mentioned, we kind of have a little allergic reaction. We're not sure how to handle it. Um, well, handle it the way that Elizabeth handled it. <laughs> you know, Elizabeth was amazed and honored when Mary showed up into her presence. Um, she sounds very Catholic, uh, you know. You know, what, what do I do? What did I do? You know, blessed are you, you know, uh, she says there in, in, uh, um, then she spoke out in a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Those are familiar words. If you know Catholicism at all, right, you know, you know, that's woven into a prayer to Mary, which I think we can all be allergic to, but, but the words themselves are taken from here. And, and can we, can we utter those words? Can we, would we, would we, uh, would we join with Elizabeth uh, in encountering Mary and say, what a blessed woman indeed. Um, and uh, what a unique person in the history of the world uh, is Mary chosen to be the vessel uh, through which the word of God became flesh, by which the God himself became incarnate. Um, what an amazing individual she is. Um, and yet, and yet, very shortly after this text, she vanishes in the scriptures. Um, so she she ha she has this moment where no doubt she is a glorious moment, and 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 she even says it uh, that she will be you know henceforth in verse forty eight for behold henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Um, so she's got this amazing moment, and then in the rest of the scripture she vanishes, 
into the backdrop because ultimately the story is not about her. Nor does she think it's about her. Well, we see that in this text. She knows it's not about her. But nonetheless, she can't help but acknowledge the fact that in God's providence and in the history of redemption, he has blessed her with this unbelievable gift to be the bearer of God himself when God became flesh. Tremendous uh, moment and a tremendous individual in the history of redemption, the history of the world. And we ought not be allergic to Mary. We ought not uh, be allergic to praising God for Mary and indeed joining with Elizabeth and saying, blessed is she. And for sure, blessed is the fruit of her womb. Um, I do not encourage you to pray to her, but I do encourage you, but I do encourage you to acknowledge her blessedness because she says it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that all generations will call her blessed and she is blessed indeed. Well, let's think about this song that she breaks into here uh, after this encounter with Elizabeth. Um, again, I, I was listening to uh, Pastor Sherritt, you know, Kevin talked the other day and, and just reminded that uh, the, the, this whole Christmas scene, especially in Luke, um, this whole Christmas moment is flooded with music. Uh, he called it a musical, which is kind of neat to think about, uh, because it's it's like the story's going along, and all of a sudden it breaks out into song. You got the song of Mary, you got the song of Zechariah, you got the song of the angels, and you got the song of Simeon. Uh, just like bang, 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 bang. It is a musical, indeed. The first couple chapters of of this text, and and it's almost as if, and I've said this before in speaking, probably on the Magnificat, that that certain occasions call for more than prose. Right, they call for poetry. It just has. It just prose don't get it done. Like had Mary written an essay on on the uh, on the the fact that she's blessed, it'd be it would certainly be worth reading. Okay, um, but but an essay I don't think would cut it here. And even a mere poem, although poetry is is truth condensed, it's very rich uh, poetry, and and it it means on so many levels. Poetry does. And poetry is great, but it even calls for more than poetry. Even a straight poem would have been beautiful, but not sufficient. It requires music. And, and music takes poetry and truth to a whole nother level. It just does something to our souls. I was listening on the way down here to the uh, Cambridge Children, you know, Boys Choir uh, singing Christmas carols. It's angelic, uh, just utterly angelic. You know, and it, just, it does something to your soul. Um, I don't even know sometimes what they're singing. I can't understand those high voices sometimes, but but I don't. All I know is it's heavenly. That's all I know. Music does that to you. It takes truth and then just elevates it up into the heavens. And and uh, and this is what is going on here with Mary. Poetry comes to her soul, accompanying accompanied by music, and she sings to the Lord this beautiful song. And the church has been singing it, if you will, ever since. Well, let's think about it. I want to just break it into the into two parts here as we have it. Um, ultimately, I want us to consider Christmas reversal because that's where she's going here. But let's just kind of work down through the song uh, through this song. So Mary says, or she sings, "My soul magnifies the Lord." Right from the beginning. Now, again, remember we're talking about a teenage girl here, as far as we understand it. Uh, this young girl, Mary. And the soul begins with her blessing the Lord, as we've heard within many of the Psalms that we've been considering. But even here, more than blessing, she magnifies the Lord. That is what her soul wants to do is make God even bigger than we perceive him to be. 
you could say that in one sense, the problem with humans, and le- and let's just speak about 21st century American humans, the, you know, the worst, uh, you know, us, you and me, um, that one, maybe, maybe our condition is most grossly seen in that we have a very small view of God. We have a very small view of God. We have the God bless America God, which I like. I certainly like it in the seventh inning of baseball games. I really do. It's a very moving moment to stand with 40,000 people and sing God bless America in the middle of a baseball stadium. I, I mean that sincerely. I do like it. And I like that I live in a country that still wants to do that. It says something, okay? But the danger with the God bless America God is he's very tiny. He gets brought up in the seventh inning and forgotten. Okay, he, he, he's the in God we trust God. He's the one nation under God God. He's the mascot God. He's the God that we tuck in the corner and bring him out in the seventh inning. We bring him out at the Pledge of Allegiance, which I'm in the school, so I say it every day. You know, so it's there. But when's the last time you said the Pledge of Allegiance? Uh, in God we trust, fine, it's on our money, but it's, you know, whatever. The, the danger that we have is that our God becomes a mascot God he becomes a God that's there kind of when we go through national calamity, we need to have a, a day of prayer, God. And again, I'm not mocking these things in and of themselves. I'm, again, I'm glad I live in a country that still has in God we trust on its money. Of course, they don't name him. He's just generically called God. But, you know, and so we kind of filter into that, well, he's the God of the Bible, and because that's the roots of this country. And so I'm glad we live in that country, but there's a real danger there. And the danger is God becomes very small. May we have the heart of Mary, whose vision of God was growing. And she's saying, that's what my, my, let my soul be a magnifier of God. God is so much bigger than anything you've contemplated and anything you imagine. Think through the smallness of our vision of God. And I say us, I'm not saying our culture. I'm I'm talking about us. Very easy for us to be conformed as we've been praying to the pattern of this world on this issue as well. God becomes an idea. God becomes something in the distant. God becomes the one I lean on when I really have trouble. But Mary wants her soul to magnify the Lord. So my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So there we get a sense of what magnification means for her, right? Rejoicing and praising. So maybe that gives us a sense of whether or not we have a big view of God or a small view of God is, is how, how much praise, or we've thought about this before from Romans 1, how much thanksgiving do we give to God? That's a sense of, of our whether we have the eyes, sort of godly eyes by which we view things. I see him in everything. I hear him in everything. I see his gifts in everything. Well, Mary of course, sees it so poignantly in this amazing gift that she's been given. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Here again, another insight into soul, you know, into God magnification. Okay, For Mary, it's a, it's a soul that rejoices. But, but here's a second ingredient to, to God magnification. A low view of yourself. Right, Mary, Mary looks at herself with no false pretense. He has regarded the humble estate of his maidservant. Here is a young lady who does not think too highly of herself. 
right? She has a humble view of herself. And of course, this is the this is the 21st century problem. We have such unbelievably exalted views of ourselves that we can't see past ourselves. God is small because we are great in our own eyes. And you say, well, no, Bill, that's not the case because our, our culture struggles with self-image. Yeah, C.S. Lewis says, no, that is self-addiction. That is, that is pride itself, right? L Lewis's definition of humility, you know, Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's what we tend to think. Oh, Bill, no, we're, we're, we're a society that thinks low of itself. We have, we have terrible self-image problems in this culture, right? Lewis says, no, that's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. It's not thinking of yourself. Right? Even this low self-image becomes pride. Even the low self-image becomes self-absorption because it's focusing on me, me, me. This is a real problem for us in 21st century America and maybe other ages. I can only speak about our own in this case. And, and let's do that because we're the ones living here. So we think about ourselves in this way more than we ought to. We are the main character in our own play. Neil Gablin wrote a book, I think that's his name, wrote a, uh, wrote a book called Life the Movie, which he said, look, we all walk around with ourselves as the main character in this grand story that's being told, but like we're the chief character. And now we throw our earbud, you know, ear, AirPods or whatever they are in there. And, and now we have, you know, soundtracks to go, to go with, our, uh, to go with our, our movies where we're the main character. But that's how we see it, right? You're all bit players in my story. But I'm the main character. And that's the problem that we have. And Mary, Mary has a soul that magnifies the Lord because she understands herself as lowly. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. But even here, though this is not the, the reversals that I want to deal with necessarily, but we see this amazing reversal, these Christmas reversals happening right within Mary. Because here she is, a woman who acknowledges that she's nothing, humble and lowly state, yet what happens? For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. This amazing reversal that she who is nothing in the world's eyes will now become a woman that here we are 2,100 years later talking about in Somers, New York, talking about this teenage virgin in, in, in Bethlehem, you know, in Nazareth. Indeed, what an amazing reversal. And such will be for all who take Mary's perspective and who put their trust in him. I mean, this is what the scriptures teach us again and again and again, right? I, and you know, I often go to Revelation 3 and into the church of Laodicea when he says to the church, to him who overcomes, I will give to sit on my throne with me. It's not that glory or desiring glory is a bad thing. Mary's going to get it. Unbelievable glory. Glory through the ages. Glory where the saints will talk about her and call her blessed through all the ages. Glory's not the bad thing. It's just waiting for God to give it and not grasping after it ourselves. And Mary is Mary sees, I just receive it as gift. Mary's not grasping anything. Mary thinks of herself as she ought to think, of lowly estate. 
But she recognizes that all she has has been given to her and it has been gift and she simply receives it. Again, nothing in my hand I bring simply to that cross I cling. But what we find is that when we come with the empty hands to God acknowledging who we are, when we get ourselves out of our vision and we get our eyes on him, what we find is we receive a name. Right, we, we we receive a throne. We receive a crown. Go read the go read those words to the churches in Revelation two and three. Look at all look at all the stuff they receive because they trust. Because like Mary, they come with nothing in their hand to bring, but they trust in Him, and the Lord bestows glory, gives it freely. So Mary sees this reversal in her own life. He has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, and behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me. Right? I'm nothing, but he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. The Lord has become her salvation, taking up the words like of Isaiah 12 that we looked at uh, last week. Okay, so Mary just bursts into song, acknowledging who she is and seeing that in her own life an amazing reversal is taking place. For here I am, who am I? Nothing but one who receives this gift from the Lord and who the Lord is giving a name to. But now she turns and she launches into this grand theological uh, perspective that she will sing of. So first she just acknowledges what happens to her. But then let me just read through 51 to 55. And if you have ears to hear, you will hear Hannah's song, much of Hannah's song in in, uh, 1 Samuel 1. Um, But listen to where she goes from here. For he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Again, I just want you to try. Now, see, I work with teenagers all day. Okay, this is what this is what I do. I'm we're dealing here with a young lady, a teenager, who writes that. Like, where's that come from? I mean, that she's like, she just zoomed one, this amazing praise and acknowledgement of what's happened to her. But then she's able, after just being in awe of that and giving God praise and magnifying the Lord, she's able to just like step back and see and survey the whole story of what's going on here. Notice at the end, rooting this back in the Abrahamic covenant with the the language of Abraham's seed through whom you'll remember God telling Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Mary, like this stuff is right there in her heart and on her lips, this theology, this biblical understanding of what the Lord has been doing, of what the Lord has promised, and now able to see in this moment the culmination of all those things. I, I just wonder how well you know your Bibles, how well how well I know my Bible. Like, do we are those the lenses 
through which we are able to interpret what God is doing. Just surveying the story. Well, Mary, Mary has it. And that's why it's humbling to me anyway, to hear her just burst forth. And we can attribute that, well, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is inspiring these words. Of course, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. But they're coming from Mary's mind, from Mary's soul. She's, she's not going, wow, where'd that come from? You know, it's not at the end of this. And Mary was amazed that she, where'd these words come from? These words are flowing right from the heart and mind of Mary in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what does she sing of in verses 51 and 55? And here is where I'm using the language of reversal. Christmas is the undoing of things and the remending of things, right? Simeon, Simeon will sing of this in the song that we, well, not in the song, but just before it, which we close every service with, the song of Simeon, the nuke diminished, the now dismiss us, Lord. You'll remember who Simeon is. Simeon is the old man who, he's, he's just wanting to see the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, and the Lord promises him, you won't die until you do. And then Mary will eventually bring the child to the temple, and there's Simeon. And he gets to hold this child, and it's amazing. But he, as he speaks uh, to Mary, just uh, think of what he says. This is just right over on the next page there in chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's just waiting for Israel to be consoled with the, the promises. And, and just the fact that that's the word that's used is great. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen uh, the Lord's Christ. So it came. Uh, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him uh, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples to bring light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory, uh, the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, and listen, behold, this child is destined for the rise of for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon looks at this child and he says, here's what I see, Mary. This child is going to bring about the rise and fall of many. Right? The exaltation of the lowly and the tearing down of the mighty. Echoing what Mary says in her song. Mary becomes a prophetess at this point, right? She's, she begins acknowledging what the Lord has done for her, but now she turns with such strong language and basically sings to the world about what is coming from her womb. And notice she speaks about it, I say prophetess, because she's prophesying of future stuff in the past tense. Like she sees the fact that this child is in her womb, that these things she's about to say are as good as done. Just like we thought about the song of Zechariah a couple weeks ago. Same thing, right? He, he looks at John the Baptist and he sees the birth of John the Baptist being the messenger of the coming king. And therefore, these things are as good as done. Mary sees that the child in her womb means that the Lord has shown strength. And with this strength, he scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
the proud, I love that language, the imagination of their thoughts. I think the ESV says uh, the imagination of their minds. But anyway, the, the idea here being they're living in a fanciful world. They're living by unreality, the proud, who think themselves something, right? Who, who, who what they have, the God that they have in view of their eyes is themselves, and the Lord, what does Christmas mean? Christmas is the undoing of that. It's like he's going to pop the bubble of the proud who think themselves something that when the God-man comes into the world, he will undo the fictional stories that our culture has about itself. We think we're something. We think we're something. Again, I go back to my buddy Kevin because he often... Reminds me, he's the one who, when he speaks of it, it moves me the most anyway, of Isaiah's words. When, when the Lord is speaking about the nations and he says, the nations before the Lord are as nothing to me. They are like dust on the scales. They are less than nothing. Yet we think we're something. Where we think we're something. As individuals, we think we're something. As a nation, we think we're something. And yet, this is fiction. It is fiction. It's the proud in the imagination of their hearts, thinking they are something they are not. We buy the lie of Satan that the day you eat, you will be like God. And from the very beginning, we wanted to be gods. And frankly, we think we are. But Christmas undoes that. We need the heart and mind of Mary who recognize that in ourselves we are nothing. We are the dust of the earth. There's a reason why in the creation narrative God slows down the narrative and says, well, actually on day six, let me explain how I made you. Let me explain how I made you. Other, other days it's like, and he said this and he said that. And, he did, and then on day six it's like, whoop, slow down. And God reached into the dirt Okay, And he formed man. And then he breathed into him. And then blessed him beyond measure, giving him his image. Like your life is breath from God. That's how amazing it is. See, we come back full circle to find out actually we are amazing, but we're amazing by gift. And that without it, we're dirt. We're dust of the earth. But to this dust, to this jar of clay, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, is given inestimable value of treasure, right? We have treasure inside these jars of clay, but we are jars of clay. And when the jar starts to get haughty in the imagination of its heart, when the dirt starts to think it's so incredible in and of itself, we deceive ourselves. And Christmas undoes this. That's what Mary is saying. The proud will be torn down. And here's the question we have to ask. Are you okay with that? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, hey, Corinthians, and they were very proud people. The Corinthians, they were a mess. I like us. And he says to them, hey, look at yourselves. I love that he says that. Consider yourselves, brethren. Not many of you are wise. It's tough to hear. Not, not many of you are mighty. Not many of you are noble, of noble birth. But here's the good news. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the shameful things to shame the noble. 
God has chosen the weak to break the mighty. And then, and then he says this, God has chosen the things that are not to shame the things that are or that think they are. And I often ask myself, am I okay being called a thing that is not? He has chosen the things that are not. Are you okay being called a thing that is not? Mary was. Mary was happy to be a thing that is not, yet to be filled with this inestimable treasure. Are you? Christmas burst the bubble of the vain imaginations of the proud. That's one reversal, right? He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And then in 52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones, but exalted the lowly. How can you? At, at, Christmas reminds us that this is true, though we don't see it. We still see the mighty who shake their fists and act as if they have everything in the grip of their power. And we've been free from a lot of that in America, though we feel the we feel the uh, uh, the powers growing, if you will. COVID has given the powers of the world a tremendous opportunity to raise their fists and to to uh, to tyrannize the people. Just ask those in Australia how it's going. But, but don't think that that, you know, as Solzhenitsyn said, you know, never, ever, ever say it cannot happen here. It most certainly can. And he was saying that, of course, coming out of communist uh, Russia as an exile to America and speaking to Americans in the 70s and saying, hey, don't ever say it can't happen here. Right? This is what happens when those in the vain imaginations of their heart claim power. And this is a great opportunity for them to do it. But Christmas reminds us that it doesn't last. It doesn't last. The mighty will be torn down from their thrones and the lowly will be exalted. And then she continues in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Think of the text we read in our word of exhortation today. Again, those great reversals, the, the parable of the tax collector and, and the, the Pharisee. There you have the proud Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like him, right? And thank you that I got my act together and this guy's a, just a complete disaster. Thank you that you didn't make me like him. And Jesus, and Jesus just shocks the crowd. Which one of these men went away justified? I tell you, the tax collector did. Then the little children, the weakest of the weak, come to Jesus. And even the disciples get caught up in the mix. <laughs> they say, no, no, hey, hey, kids, kids, kids. No, hey, not the master. He's got work to do. And Jesus is just like, you guys don't get, no, no, no. Let them come to me. Are you nuts? Let them come to me. But, you know, the, the rich young ruler, they immediately, like, clear the way so he can get in there and talk to Jesus. But the little children, no, 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 children, you can't come. Jesus is busy now, okay? And Jesus not only receives the children, but then he says, listen to me, boys. Right? Listen to me. If you don't come this way, you can't come. You must come as little children. You must come as the lowly. You must come as the humble. You must come as the immature. You must come as the dependent. I always say when I think of this, that when I think of coming as little children, I think when my kids were little, the thing I think most of what resonates with me about what Jesus is saying is, I think coming out of a store and crossing a big parking lot, 
you know, outside a grocery store or the mall or something like that. And coming out with my kids and my kids are wanting to run and I kind of snap my fingers. I go, hey, and I just put my hand out like this, you know, and my little kids, you know, <laughs> you know, they just reach up and grab my hand. Now, if I did that to Emma now, you know, or Andy, I go, Andy, give him my hand. He'd be like that. <laughs> you know, Andy's 20, was he 23? I need you guys to help me with these things. But, you know, if I, if I said to my 23 year old, Andy, give me your hand. He'd be like that. Uh, but still Tommy, Tommy's nine, still got it a little bit, a little bit where I could say, Tommy, and he'll give me his hand. That's what a child does. A child's not ashamed. A child's not afraid if his friends see him and he's holding daddy's hand, right? He's okay being dependent and acknowledging I need my dad to help me cross the street. Andy, not so much now. Andy knows he doesn't need me to cross the street. But Jesus says in the kingdom of God, you only come by being like Tommy. Not, not like being Andy. I don't want Andy to hear this and be offended. But, but you get the point. We must come as little children. Because these are the ones that will be exalted. But the proud, the rich young ruler, who when he comes in and says, no, 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 I don't need to hold your hand. Just tell me what I have to do. And Jesus said, oh, really? Okay, well, here, here's a list. Oh, well, that's all. Good. I've done that. Okay, well, actually, you know, he pulls like a Columbo. You know, one, hey, just one more thing. Oh, what is it? Well, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he, you, know, you be a child. Trust me. Hold my hand. And he won't do it. And he walks away weeping. The little children come. They sit on his lap. The rich young ruler goes away. We see that same reversal there. The rich, he sends away empty. But those who are hungry, he fills with good things. This is the reversal of Christmas. And then she concludes, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. We, boy, we thought a lot about this in the past couple months about the idea of remembering. And even Mary picks it up, right? He has remembered. He's made promises to us, brothers and sisters, and he has not forgotten. And boy, is Israel weak. I mean, we're, we're under an oppressive power, the Romans, right? We've been in exile for 500 years, but the Lord has not forgotten. He has remembered his mercy just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. As we conclude this Advent season, as we march into Christmas, maybe we ought to reflect upon this reversal. Maybe we ought to ask, do we have a magnified view of God which is willing to shrink in light of it but when we shrink in light of it, what we find, just as Mary found, is you don't shrink away into oblivion. But to shrink in the presence of God is also to be made great in the presence of God. Right? The first shall be last, indeed. But Jesus doesn't just leave it like that, so you're all going to be last. No, he says, and the last shall be first. Any man who seeks to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find they've saved it. God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. And he has become, go back and read the end of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, and he has become for us wisdom. And he has become for us righteousness. And he has become for us our sanctification and our redemption. That is, you empty yourself acknowledging what you really are and what you find in him is everything. 
that you thought you were striving after. Don't forget, going back to Abraham, and I'll conclude with this. Think of the reversal and the contrast in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. What were they doing in the Tower of Babel in, the, in chapter 11 of Genesis? Do you remember? The, the repetition in that little nine-verse story is, let us make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower that reaches into the heavens and we will make a name for ourselves. And what did the Lord do? Scattered them into oblivion. Who knows who they are? Shinar. <laughs> I mean, gone. The plains of Shinar and the people of Baal, gone into oblivion. Very next chapter, Abraham, who is not seeking a name, he's just living in his land and doing his thing. And the Lord approaches him and says, Abraham, Abraham, go to the land I will show you. And you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What those in Babel strove for and lost, Abraham, who was not striving, humbly received, and the Lord gave it all to him. And here's Mary, 2,000 years later, singing about it. And here we are, 4,000 years from Abraham, talking about it. A name that is great. This is the great reversal of Christmas. If we come with nothing in our hands to bring, we find in Christ all you will need, all you desire is given to you in him because he is, as one of the song, of the uh, great is it uh, Hark the Herald Angel? He is the desire of nations. He is what we're ultimately longing for. But when we seek it in anything other than him, we find it's gone. May we not do that. May we, like Mary, find in the Christ child, in this gift that was in her womb, everything that we desire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging, as Calvin has said, and as we have repeated often, that we are by nature, nature idol factories. Lord, we make anything God other than you, and particularly we ourselves. Father, we acknowledge that we think way too highly of ourselves. Even when we think low of ourselves, it's us we're thinking of. And we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would continue to break us of that. May we, may we be like Mary, so overwhelmed by your greatness and your glory, by the magnification of your name, that there's nothing else to think about or delight in but you. For you are the source of all delight and of all glory. We thank you for Mary, for her song. Indeed, she is blessed. And Father, we pray that we would rejoice in the gift that came from her womb, even Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.